You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. What is the world coming to? Our title, but also, of course, a phrase that we hear uh, uh, sometimes day to day. Uh, It might be over the garden fence, uh, it might be over a cup of tea, a pint in the pub, uh, a chat in the playground, uh, and and you might find that it's accompanied by a furrowed brow or a crossing of the arms or a pursing of the lips, uh, a shake of the head. Um, uh, And and what could be the cause of this? What is the world coming to? Well, it might be the enormous electricity bill you've just received. Uh, It could be another political scandal uh, it could be a nasty crime on the news um, news of a famine perhaps in a war-torn state or it could be close to home uh, it could be a break-in at the local shop or the cricket club or church or, or scout hut whatever the thing is it might well be followed by a slightly misty-eyed reminiscence about how we never used to lock our front door or our cars, um, how children always behaved in school. Uh, Politics, well, it was a really serious business back in the day, wasn't it? And of course, there were always uh, local bobbies on the beat. Now, I'm posing it in a slightly lighthearted way, but it's serious, isn't it? Because it's about how people feel about the things in their lives. And it's usually posed as a rhetorical question. We don't want an answer. We have an understanding that the person we're talking to shares our opinion. They feel the same about it. And equally, they can't see how they or anyone else is going to fix this thing uh, that they're talking about. And so, in short, this idea of what is the world coming to, it captures this opinion that this latest thing is just another example of this general downward trajectory of moral, spiritual or behavioural decay. And somehow it's irreversible. It's unfixable. We can't understand why it's happening. And that's why I've got that big downward arrow showing on the screen here. Now, the thing itself can be true or it can be false. It can be our opinion. Um, But the point about the use of this phrase is it's real to the people who use it. When we say, what is the world coming to? It's because we really feel that kind of desperation uh, about the situation. And it highlights, I think, that many of us feel that things in the world are happening to us rather than by us. They're out of our control. And when we feel like that, that makes us nervous. It makes us afraid. Perhaps it makes us suspicious of others and it can leave us very unsettled. And we might really feel like the world is changing before our eyes. Uh, Think about it for a moment. What's changed in your life from childhood? Just think about that, because the world really is radically different in many ways. Laws are changing. Technology is changing. People's perspectives on the world are changing. And maybe we feel like we're being left behind uh, and we can't keep up with it all. Now, Does this mean that, in fact, everything is getting worse? Of course not. We are, on average at least, 
and at least in this country, so it is a, a generalization, we're better fed, we're healthier, we're safer, we live longer, there's lower infant mortality, we've got comfier, warmer homes, we've got more possessions, we're better educated, and we're better connected to the rest of the world than our parents or our parents' parents were. So why is it that we still have that feeling? What is the world coming to? Well, as we've spoken about, it can be a turn of phrase. It can be a rhetorical question responding to something unfortunate uh, that's in the world. But what about if we try to actually empirically answer the question, what is the world coming to? At the end, what is the world coming to? Well, there will be different answers. But some might say that there's going to be irreversible climate change and, and, and ultimate human existence because we change the planet beyond what humanity uh, can survive on. Maybe uh, a conflict is going to spiral out of control and we're going to end up with nuclear holocaust. Maybe mankind is going to solve all the world's problems and people will is exist on Earth generation after generation for perpetuity. I've never actually heard anyone say that last one, and I've never seen it written in the newspaper or on BBC News or any other news outlet. Really, we don't get that kind of positive uh, feeling, do we? And we might think about some of humanity's proposed solutions. One, of course, is around climate change. It's about keeping CO2 and methane emissions down to, to be able to keep global warming in check and buy some time. Maybe we need to achieve global peace. So we need all the leaders of the world to get together and come up with a system that will work for the whole of humanity equitably and will allow uh, peace to exist on the earth. Maybe we need to limit our use of the earth's resources to sustainable levels. Now, I note that if everybody lived like the US, we'd need five worlds of resources for our current one world worth of people. And there are a lot more people about. The world population is still increasing, and it's increased by five times in 120 years. So about four or five generations, the world population has increased fivefold. And that's something that's going to have to be tackled as well. Maybe we're actually going to give up on the Earth altogether and we're going to go off uh, to populate the moon or live on Mars. It's a favourite of Elon Musk, isn't it? Whether it's really credible or not, I think, uh, begs a lot of questions. Now, now, all of these things, they, they might in principle improve the situation. But the list is worrying because when we look at mankind's solutions, we find they perhaps tweak things around the edges, but we're not really seeing huge leaps in progress towards peace or sustainability or uh, controlling uh, changes in climate, are we? And so understandably, we might well have serious concerns about humanity's proposed solutions for the world. And, and this is where those who read and give credence to the Bible uh, and therefore believe in an all-powerful, 
merciful God who's engaged in the world, well, well they can have a, a very different viewpoint. When we say, as a Bible believer, what is the world coming to? Well, the joy of being a Christian is to know the answer to this question in both the forms that we've posed. Firstly, it provides an explanation for the state of humanity and its apparent degeneration and all the crazy things that go on. And secondly, it provides an answer to the question about what the world, as we know and live on, is ultimately coming to. And, and I think my experience is that in knowing those answers, we're able to have a, a context for life and a framework to live within, which allows for individual peace and allows for a hopeful and positive outlook on life right now. And that's really what we're what we and, and I am I'm wanting to share with you this evening now now the bible that I, that i've got uh, in front of me here slightly blurred by the uh, by the screen background um it's got nearly 1400 pages uh, and we're not going to be able to unpick all of that in the next 15 minutes or so so this is a bit more like unwrapping a present uh, and, and then we go away and we have to read it for ourselves and, and really uh, find the detail for ourselves but but if we do open a bible we find that at its heart, we have a God who created humanity, who created humanity in his own image. That's how he describes it and wants us to use the intelligence and the emotional capabilities that, that he's created us with to choose to love him. That's really what's at the crux of it, to choose to love God, to serve God and to try and mimic the characteristics that he puts forward of himself um, in our lives today. And if we uh, go to our, our next slide, we see here um, just one verse that I think exemplifies quite well God's purpose for the world. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, unfortunately, this purpose, which, which I believe and which the Bible says will ultimately be fulfilled, well, this comes crashing up like, like waves against the rocks, against the reality of what humans actually do with their intellect and free will most of the time. We've said God wants people to use that to choose to serve him and to try and emulate his characteristics. But but actually, mankind doesn't typically do that, do they? What we typically do with our um, our intellect and our free will is is self-serving. It's, it's behavior that's self-interested. It's accumulative. And in general, I would propose that humanity plays a zero sum game where where in order for some to win, then others lose or at least the losers, maybe they only gain marginally compared to the winners, and they're only allowed to continue to gain marginally if the winners keep winning big. Now, we can debate this, and we will be able to challenge it with specific examples, and I'm absolutely not doubting that. But in general terms, this is what human civilization um, is built on. And 
from the very first man and woman through every generation since that's been a reality. It's recorded in our Bibles. It's recorded in our history books with the rise and fall of nations and, uh, and, and epochs. And, and it's happening now on the news. And I think we experience it in our, our day to day lives. So I think we really understand in our heart of hearts that that's really what mankind is like, self-serving, self-interested. So, so when we say, well, what is the world coming to? If it isn't actually ever perpetual moral decline, and it might just feel like that, well, what is it? Well, in fact, it's mostly more of the same. And that might be an you know, anticlimactic statement, but that's what the Bible says uh, as well. This is a passage that's talking um, uh, about the days of, of Noah and, and a great flood of the earth. Um, one of the defining points in history as recorded uh, in the Bible. And it says here uh, that as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of Jesus. There's about 4,500 years between the two ends of that sentence, you know, potentially even more. And it says, in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. And the point is not that the world is getting worse and worse morally. It's probably not. But the application of the, the rose tinted spectacles that we often wear means that, that everything does seem like it was better when I were a lad or in, in our previous um, generations. The problem is that mankind on an individual level tends toward evil. Now, we don't get very long, maybe 70, maybe 80 years, maybe 90 years to, to live that out. but. Typically, mankind moves away from the purpose of God, and it's always been so. The, the Bible says in, in the prophecy of Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Hard thing to hear, isn't it? Wickedness. But actually, mankind has been doing its own thing and basically following its own best interests for the whole of history. And this, for me, begs a really important question. If this state has continued for thousands of years, why hasn't God intervened? Isn't he going to do something about it? Doesn't he care? Well, God does care. Uh, and he tells us as much in, in countless places. And I've just picked one here, again, from the prophecy of Jeremiah um, and chapter 29. I know the plans I have for you, declares God, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But some uh, will always say that that's just nice words. Won't it? And actually, the Bible tackles that head on uh, in a passage later in the Bible in the, in the New Testament. Um, uh, the, the writer says this. Um, and I'm paraphrasing slightly uh, to condense it, but understand this. In the last days, there will be scoffers and they are going to say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of anything changing? Where is the promise of Jesus? For all these generations have passed through history and everything is continuing just 
the same as ever. Similar to that passage that we just thought about uh, from the time of Noah. And in fact, that same passage goes on to talk a little bit more about the time of Noah and the flood and how the people in that day didn't listen. And, and, and in that day, they said that God wouldn't intervene um, and they were wrong, too. Um, but that is not, thankfully, the end of it. No, God does have a plan and a timing and it's going to happen in his time. But he says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. So men might counter the slackness because they don't see anything happening in their lifetimes in the way they would hope. But in fact, what that is saying is that God is really patient with us. He's not willing that any should perish by not knowing about him and that he wants to give each of us an opportunity to to turn to him that's what the word repentance means to to come to repentance to turn to god and uh, to serve him so god is going to do something about it he is going to do something about this state of humanity but he is giving an opportunity for as many as people as possible to make that choice that individual personal choice using the intelligence and the free will that we spoke about at the start and the guidance of the Bible message to turn to him and to use their lives to to try and be like him and, and emulate those characteristics that, that he presents to us. And remember, we're told we're made in his image, and that's the best version of our, ourselves that we can be. So now is a time of opportunity for all of us. Something is going to happen. God is going to intervene. When's that going to be? Well, I can't tell you, not because I haven't looked hard enough in my Bible, but, but because I can open my Bible and find that the Bible tells us that we can't know and we're not going to be told. You can see it there on the left hand side of the screen. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. And that's words of Jesus from uh, the gospel record of, of Matthew. And what that is telling us is that God doesn't want us to get lazy. He wants us to have that sharpness that comes with uncertainty. Because if I knew it was going to be two years away, then I might kick my heels for 18 months or so, get on with some things that I wanted to do from my bucket list, something nice and selfish and indulgent, and then decide to follow God when the time was getting close. It's just the way we are, isn't it? But no, again, um, from this later in the same chapter, Jesus says, watch therefore, for you don't know the day nor the hour uh, when your Lord will come. But God is all knowing. So we don't know the day, but God knows the day. And it's a day. It's circled on the heavenly wall calendar, if you like, uh, if you want to put a, a picture to it, because we're told uh, in, in um, Acts chapter 17, for instance, and many other places that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. It's a day. It's there. It's in the calendar. Now, what influences God's choice about that timing? Well, we don't know 
exactly because we don't know the day or the hour. But we get some pictures in the Bible which we're given about the the state of the world, uh, where what is the world's going to feel like to live in, what it's going to look like when um, that day is approaching. And one of the things we might expect is that the world starts to tip over. When mankind tips the world over towards a final catastrophic outcome of their own making, of our own making, that might, be the, might well be the time uh, when God is planning to step in. Now, God told Adam, the first man of, of his creation, that he was put in control of all the animals um, and everything in his bit of the world, in, in the Garden of Eden, and he was told to tend it and to keep it. That's what mankind is supposed to be doing with the world. Now, let's ask ourselves the question, when will that agreement be finally irrevocably broken? When will that happen? Well, we might want to note that in the last 150 years, just five, six, seven generations, mankind has expanded faster in number and done more damage to the planet on a global scale than in the whole of human history that preceded it. We probably don't have that long to wait. And I think the graph on the screen gives a little indication of that. This is temperature deviation over the last 150 years of that kind of span that I was, uh, sorry, over the last uh, 2000 years. Um, since the, the time of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it looks fairly steady. It drops a little bit. And then at the end, in the last 150 years that we were talking about, it rockets up, doesn't it? And it's continuing on that almost vertical trajectory. And if you do a graph of fossil fuels consumed or population or any of the key metrics of our globe, they all look much the same. And the Bible gives us a huge amount of prophecy, prophecy being foretelling of the future, uh, that, that has lots of pictures of, of how the world will be found before God intervenes. And I've just picked one of those uh, from uh, the Gospel of Luke and, and chapter 21 to, to give an example of that. So you can just read that from uh, the screen there. And it talks about there being signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations. And it describes how people are going to feel in this situation. It says men's hearts are failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. And, and that graph, I'll just flip back for emphasis, that graph is one of the things that are making men's hearts fail them for fear and looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Now, now some of this is most likely figurative. Lots of those pictures um, are used as images throughout the Bible um, of 
uh, of rulership. So the sun and the moon and the stars could be talking about the sun, moon and the stars, or, or quite likely it could be talking about uh, leaders and, and rulers in the earth. And, and I, I personally think that this describes a time when when mankind is, is reeling about because they're realizing that they've ultimately and finally they've, they're losing a grip on the earth that they rule over. Now, humanity's world is immensely complex, not just the natural world, which is wonderful and, and incredible, but, but the constructs that mankind has, has put on top of it, historical, cultural, social, geopolitical, all these things that sort of by some means or another hold the, the world together. Well, in this, in this time, in this time that's being described here, that melting pot is starting to fracture and it's starting to leak and it's about to, it's about to spill out entirely. And this is the kind of circumstance that we're told in the Bible will precede the, the day that God has appointed. Now, as we come you know, towards the, the end of our thoughts this evening, we're going to think about briefly and just briefly because the, there is so much to, to think about here. What is going to happen on this day that God's appointed and, and afterwards? Well, what we're, what we're told in the Bible is that on that day, God is going to step in. He's going to intervene at that time of his uh, arranging and he's going to be sending um, the son of man that we read about earlier, Jesus, um, back to the earth. And that's going to be the instigator for absolutely enormous change on the earth. And we, we said at the start, what is the world coming to? Well, it, we might extend that and say, what on earth is the world coming to? Because this is, this is God's plan for the earth. It's not going to happen in a, a heavenly realm somewhere else. It's described as a kingdom for this earth, a restoration for this earth. And that's what I think is so uh, wonderful about it. A kingdom on this earth restored exactly as God had originally intended it and led by his principles. Now, there are many cameos of that picture, of that kingdom, many, many pictures, uh, word pictures of that kingdom, which are provided in the Bible. And they're, they're meant to inspire us and excite us and to and to cause us to act right now um, in our lives. And I've just picked one. And this one is from uh, the prophecy of Micah and chapter four. There's, a, there's a, you know, a few verses there on the screen which you can read through. Now, that that middle section that middle section there is actually inscribed in a plaque outside the, the headquarters of the United Nations in New York. Uh, a man, you know, one of mankind's institutions that's intended to try and make the world a better place. Whether that's economically or politically um, to 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 banish famines uh, and and prevent war and its mission is honorable i'm absolutely not going to to argue with that it's god inspired as you can see 
but but so often mankind finds it's impotent. The United Nations finds it's impotent to act when when real crises appear. And I would argue, uh, and those who who turn to their Bibles would argue that only God can truly bring bring to pass this situation uh, that is described um, in this passage. And what this demonstrates, isn't it, that the, the, the structure of the earth as we know it right now is going to change. There is going to be one kingdom which is going to be universal, not multiple countries and nations, but nations coming together in one and all of them turning to God for their instruction. No more different opinions about what is right and what is wrong, what laws should be made, what laws should be revoked. There's going to be one rule and it's going to be uh, on God's principles. And God plans to set up this kingdom here on earth uh, with his son, Jesus, as its king. Now, this is my uh, last but one uh, slide here. There are many things that can make us say, what is the world coming to? But none of them are ever terribly positive. And that's, there are lots of great things in life. But when we're in the mindset where we're uttering those words, then we're thinking about things that we'd rather not have to deal with, aren't we? Um, and one of the wonderful things that's, that's spoken of about this time of the universal kingdom of God on earth is that all of those troublesome things in our lives, all of those difficult uh, things in our lives that cause suffering um, are going to be taken away. Uh, and so there is a transformation in the earth, which we've just described and seen um, from that passage in, in the prophecy of Micah. But there's an individual transformation for ourselves and how we, we feel as well. And here in the last book of the Bible in Revelation, uh, just one verse that I've highlighted for you here of many. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death in eternal kingdom, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And this is a wonderful picture, isn't it? A complete transformation of the human experience and all of it for the good. Now, we started about, we started by thinking about this use of the phrase, what is the world coming to? And I said, and I, I hope you might agree with me, that it represents a lack of hope for what the world is going to be and, and a despair about the future. But I hope that you've seen through our brief thoughts this evening that with an understanding of God's power and God's plan, we don't need to think like that. We will observe terrible things in the world just as before. But, but instead of being despairing, we can now be hopeful because we understand that, that God is in control and his plan will be fulfilled in the world in the time of his choosing. And, and this can allow us to live our lives right now with a completely different attitude, with a completely different outlook on life. And this is something that Jesus described 
wonderfully, I think, as his peace. And so in this passage, and in the last slide, um, a passage from the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ, God's son, um, says here before his death and, and his resurrection, these wonderful words. And he says that he's going to leave with us peace. And it's the kind of peace that the world simply can't provide. But God and his son can provide that peace. And so we're encouraged. We're uplifted to say, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. So what is the world coming to? Well, I hope that we've seen through our brief thoughts this evening that it is coming to a time of peace. A time of joy, of, of equity, of restoration, um, but but that to be part of this is only possible by embracing a relationship with God. And that's going to be people who, using their intelligence, using their free will that, that God's given them, people that choose to open their Bibles and, and choose to to learn how to to become a, a Christian and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and ultimately to be able to live in that kingdom of peace and prosperity uh, that we've described this evening. I hope that's been helpful for everybody. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen